0: Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. On March 1st, we will be creating a new channel for MedTech money. So if you are a fan of the podcast, please search Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to your favorite Project MedTech channels. In this episode, our guests are Andrew Elder and Christoph Rudig. In this episode, we discuss the background of Albion VC, their focus on late seed and Series A stage investments, their focus on health tech, geographical focus, why they made the switch from practicing physicians to investors, what sparked their interest in digital health, what areas of digital health they focus on, where they see the digital health industry going, the importance of messaging to achieve technology adoption, some of the various companies they have invested in, how do we continue the digital health revolution, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Andrew Elder and Christoph Rudig. So Andrew, Christoph, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having <laughs> us.
0: Yeah, so um, I, 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 Andrew, I'll start with you and then and Christoph, and then we'll move to you. If you guys just wanna give a brief uh, background on, on who you are and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, sure, so um, I started out as, as a doctor. I trained in Cambridge, UK. Um, went down the surgical line and trained in neurosurgery um, before realizing that commercial world was um, actually more interesting than neurosurgery and um, spent five years getting some commercial uh, spurs with Boston Consulting Group and then been in VC ever since.
0: Wonderful. And uh, Christoph?
1: Yeah, so I'm
2: uh, also a a doctor by background. I specialize in radiology. And then I joined uh, Bain uh, Consultancy doing management consulting focused on, on healthcare for a couple of years. Uh, after that, I joined uh, a UK-based venture capital fund called Three I, um, doing you know mostly life science investing for two to three years, and then I had a brief stint at GE, where I was responsible so General Electric, where I was responsible for MA for their healthcare IT division um, uh, before I joined Albion roughly ten years ago.
0: Wonderful, and and so Christoph, uh, just real quick, from a radiology perspective, um, are you are you diagnostic or interventional?
2: so i was was diagnostic i was primarily doing uh actually mri at
0: the time okay wonderful yeah two of my best friends are both radiologists one's diagnostic and and one's interventional just finishing their fellowship so um i figured i'd ask yeah so so albion vc um when was it founded uh andrew were you the founder no
1: um not quite no not quite so it was founded in um in 96 i joined in two thousand and five. So yeah, we've been investing now for 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 more than twenty five years, and it was founded by someone called Patrick Reeve, um, who started with a with a small fund of of um, forty or fifty million, and uh, and is now managing um, around about a billion dollars.
0: Okay, wow. Okay, so you guys are you guys are a fairly large uh, group then, Um, and and so do you have a geographical focus?
1: Yes. Uh, so okay. we, we are predominantly focused on the UK. Okay. Um, we, we have, uh, plenty of companies who are globally facing most of our most tech companies really are globally facing you. Um, but we, most of our companies are based in the UK or in, in Europe.
0: Okay. And is there a, uh, uh, phase of company you're typically investing in, an average check size? You know, Do you have follow-on investment? Uh, I think the listeners would be curious to hear some of those details.
1: Yeah, so we, we focus on late seed and series A as our first check and entry point, uh, but then typically follow into the B rounds and sometimes into C. Uh, and we also have a couple of funds which, which invest in earlier stage uh, deep technologies. So we have um, uh, a fund which is partnered with University College London, uh, which is home of some of the most um, impressive um, deep tech IP, so intellectual property, in both therapeutics and computer science, uh, and that's investing at the sort of pre-seed, the real startup stage, uh, pre-seed and seed stage. But most of that eight hundred, uh, sorry, hundred or billion dollars, if you like, is um, uh, sorry getting mixed up between pounds and dollars. But the, uh, most of the billion dollars is uh, is focused on the late seed, Series A um, stage.
0: Okay, wonderful. And and do you both have the same focuses or do you focus on, you know, Andrew, do you're the 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 practice that you lead, is it a different focus than Christoph or how does that work?
1: No, we're clones of each other. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: we, we're, very effectively,
1: nice. we're effectively um we 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 tag team and um we we look at everything together and um uh, we have a very similar thesis and we're constantly testing our thesis with each other, but um I'll let Christoph expand on on what that is, but no, we're we're, we're pretty. We see the world through uh, a pretty similar lens.
2: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Uh, so Andrew and I basically both uh, lead the uh, the two sort of things that that Andrew mentioned, which is, you know, on the one hand, um, the the deep tech fund focused on UCL, which invests heavily actually into uh, life sciences, into biotech, uh, a lot of cell and gene therapy companies, and there's a couple of sort of diagnostics companies um, in there as well. Uh, and then the other uh, sort of pot of money um, is is into B two B software where we do a lot of our digital health investing out of, um, and that's mostly sort of Series A focus. So to your question on stage, Duen, that that's you, you know that that will be check sizes of between I'd say you know, and I'm 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 quoting pounds now, uh, three to seven million pounds um, in a first check, and then up to ten to fifteen million, um, you know, follow on. Whereas the the deep tech strategy uh, that is really sort of we started with a couple of hundred thousand pounds initially pre seed and then um, sort of tap out at typically sort of Series B so five to six or seven million pounds.
0: Okay, wonderful. And so um, you know we we actually have a whole separate series, uh, another podcast series. that's under the Project Medtech family. That's related to it's called Medtech Money, right? And and we focus on more mechanics of investing. Um, I, I did wanna ask you those questions first because it is important we get that out there, but but actually, you know, didn't wanna have you on to talk too much about the mechanics of investing, but rather, um, well, there was two things. There's, there's, you know, the digital health movement and where it's going and where you see that going. But before that, I, I think, um, you know, because we have so many, we have such a, a broad listening group, I would be curious to hear from both of you. Um, Maybe that evolution of your healthcare professional career from a doctor to an investor and what that was like, and, and maybe why you made that decision. So, Christoph, we'll start with you, and then Andrew, if you want to tack on.
2: Yeah, that's a very uh, interesting. Question. I have to sort of dig uh, back uh, in my memory because it's now uh, it's over fifteen years ago uh, that I that I made that shift. Um, I think you know, for me, it was primarily um, around a. Uh, sort of, um, bit of a disillusionment with the, you know, the the this I call it sort of slightly sclerotic structures in the hospitals. Uh, certainly in Germany, where I was training, uh, it was very, um, you know, very hierarchical. Really, it still is actually to this day. I'm still talking to some of the ex colleagues, um, and uh, you know that I guess coupled with the fact that as a radiologist, you sit in the basement and never see the light during the day um probably uh you know tipped <laughs> me uh, tipped me over to, to saying actually let's let's try try out something else and so what i did then is i you know i applied to a bunch of the consultancies as you do when you're sort of a bright you know young um uh, doctor not wanting to blow my own trumpet um and you know i just had a really good sort of um, fit i guess with with bain at the time and um you know and and so you know made the switch uh there to um, to consulting uh, and that actually was a very uh, I think a useful thing to do because you know as a, as a as a sort of young medical doctor you're obviously you know trained to become a specialist and you become very very good at what you do and you know in my case it was radiology um, but you have you know very little understanding of actually the world outside of healthcare in particular sort of you know commercial nows um, you know how to look at businesses um, you know, all, all these sort of things and, and consultancies is you know, the, the management consultancies are very good at training you up on that. So that was a very useful, um, I guess, switch for me, very useful experience.
1: Great. And and Andrew? Yeah, so I made the switch. I started to make the switch in my mind, I guess, all the way back to medical school. I started doing a PhD, in fact, um in Cambridge, and uh this was the early 90s and the thing which was really starting to kick off then was the biotech bubble. So biotech investing and biotech startups were starting to, to spring up in Europe, um, as they had done in the in the US in the eighties. And uh, it's I suddenly found I was reading Nature Biotech more than I was reading Nature the magazine itself. So I was instead of reading about the science, I, I wanted to read a bit about the science, but I wanted to know what the spin out story was behind the the science and you know who was commercialising it. And I just found I got more interested in that. So I I went into the operating theater, if you like with this in the back of my mind, actually this whole world of commercial startups was there. And it just seemed hugely exciting. It, it was fascinating. It was sort of um, early stage pioneering stuff and people raising money and building companies was just seemed to be really exciting. And, and the, the operating theater was fine, but um, I realized 30, 30 years of doing the same thing, um, staring down the same microscope, um, just didn't really suit me and actually my mind was one which just liked the variety and the commercial world just oozes variety you every single um, startup we talk to is different every team is different every market or subsector that we we deal with is different the the way the regula- regulations are applied to each different country to each different subsector, it's just extraordinary the, the variety and richness that you have to deal with and so Moving from medicine, which is a very sort of algorithmic, straight diagnostic kind of pathway or treatment pathway, moving into a sort of much more unstructured world of the commercial SMEs, I I just found absolutely fascinating. And, you know, um made the shift across 20, 21 years ago and have never looked back. And um, you know, I, I like going back into hospitals and talking to some of my my mates, but never do I regret moving into the into the commercial world. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think I talk to a lot of um, healthcare providers, whether it be nurses, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, physicians, who are, you know, uh, thinking about this switch of of maybe you know not practicing anymore and 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 doing something else. So I always try to try to get that that thought process that you had um, when, when you did it. So I, I appreciate that. Um, so another the other the other big piece of this is digital health, right? Healthcare in general, the the digitization of 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 healthcare. Um and and obviously um the COVID-19 pandemic has um you know pulled this through a lot faster than I think initially people would have thought back in 2019. Um but but I'd love to just hear you know, from you guys, if you want to kind of set the stage of, of digital health, and, and maybe why it's necessary in healthcare?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, okay, and I guess and I've been, you know, thinking about digital, well, it wasn't even called digital health, health IT, software for, for, for the, for the health industry, ever since we were mm-hmm. using it back in the 90s. And we were just, always amazed at just how laggard the industry was and and how little um sort of digitalization was going on uh, and how little was being spent on this and, and we can understand why we understand all the whole clinical angle and that actually it's difficult clinical workflow is not not straightforward uh and software tools were clunky in those days and um but we were always just amazed at the, the size of the opportunity of what you could do if you would just digitize and your your data um, and and at the first time I ever experienced it was, was with the early, early implementation of PACs. So in the radiology world, where we were using film uh, x-rays when I trained, and then when I worked in the first hospital where, where we had a PAC system in, in digital radiology, it was just an extraordinary sort of experience because you're suddenly seeing the efficiencies of a hospital just by one aspect being digitized. The, the efficiencies, the amount of time a junior doctor spent running around chasing around films, suddenly just disappeared and, and, and life was was wonderful and much more efficient when everything was digitized, stored centrally and distributed anywhere, both in and outside the hospital. So that was, a, if you like a salutary moment of of experiencing the efficiencies of, of digitalization. And then after that, I suppose it's been a, a sort of decade of frustration of, or more than a decade, probably almost two decades of frustration of just how slow everything was to, to change. Um, and over, over here, we had a massive digitalization push called the National Programme for IT, which was a top-down, massively funded waste of 7 billion pounds, um, which pretty much went nowhere. And everyone realized that you can't do these things top-down. You have to do them bottom-up. And that then, if you like, brought in a, a world where for six years or so, we'd had the bottom-up approach locked out and SMEs could go nowhere. And suddenly, we had government saying, actually, top-down doesn't work. Um, let's open things up to SMEs. And so we suddenly, you know, Christoph and I were thinking about this about the same time. Suddenly we saw a world where small, uh, bottom-up um, software developing uh, companies could start to get a, a bit of a hold uh, in in the health system and develop best of breed applications. Um, and that's when we started to really think about this could be now a fit for Albion because the kind of check sizes we were writing, we weren't going to be funding huge um, EMR rollouts. We, we wanted to write best, you know, fund companies building best-of-breed products for, for niche applications. Um, and so that's where we started to really get, get involved. And that was probably around about 2005, 2006, we, we started to invest in that. So we've been doing that, like, for the last 16 years. And it's been a steady steady rollout and gradual acceleration. Uh, but then um, it was really starting to, to motor, certainly when on the pharmaceutical-facing side of things, really starting to motor in the sort of five, six years pre-COVID. And starting to motor two or three years before COVID uh, on the clinical side. But then COVID came along and just put rockets under under both. Um, and so, you know, for Christoph and I, it's been two of the most exciting years, been a crazy couple of years. But we, we're now coming out of this just thinking, okay, now's our time. We've been doing all this practice for the last 15 years, thinking about health IT, now digital health. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant opportunities to start actually, actually building small companies. And there are just you know, hundreds of them just coming, coming, uh, you know, along, whereas previously we were looking at handfuls of, of companies. We're now looking at hundreds. So it's just fantastic.
0: Yeah. So, so Christoph, maybe I'll ask you this as investors, right before, if you had a limited amount of digital health companies, right. To look from, to look from, I'm guessing generally there wasn't as much competition, but, but maybe now there's, because of how popular it is, there's multiple companies trying to solve the same issue. So as a digital health investor, did that make investing harder because now you have to pick maybe the right company or, or do you guys see that more as a great, there's more, more investments to pick from, better competition, it gets the word out there. How, how do you evaluate that?
2: Yeah, I think the short answer, Dwayne, is 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 the latter. Really, um, there, you know, clearly are now more and more uh, companies, and this is, you know, basically based you know it's based on the trends that Andrew just laid out, which, you know, pre COVID you had already growth, and you know COVID has accelerated that significantly, um, and you know there's therefore much more opportunity for us to invest. Um, it, it does mean that there's more competition. Um, but at the end of the day, the, I think the opportunity here is so significant. The markets that are being created are so significant. You may be familiar with the phrase that I think it was coined by A16Z by one of the um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz uh, founders, "Software is Eating the World." Uh, I can't remember who of the two it was, um, but you know that was coined sort of, ten years ago. And if you look now, just outside of in general technology, general software the probably five largest companies uh, and probably nine out of the 10 largest companies, I'm not sure I've got these stats entirely right, but directionally they are right. Uh, they are now all software companies. If you look 10, 15 years ago, they weren't. Um, so now you know, clearly there have been massive markets created uh, in, in you know, generalist uh, technology or uh, software. And we believe that fundamentally the biggest healthcare companies at one point in the future will be software companies. So there's enormous potential here for uh, for you know for digital health or health tech to grow, and that's you know I said why why we're really really excited, and why actually you know uh, we're not we're not seeing the sort of well, there's more competition. We're seeing the you know massive markets that can be created, and that just creates a lot of opportunity for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, from just from a general sense, and I'm I'm certainly not an expert in this space, but when you see companies like Amazon, Google, and Apple all three of which are making significant investments in digital health. Um, it's generally a, a pretty good indication of where the market's going, right? If, if those three behemoths are, are, are playing in that space. I mean, even Microsoft is, is in that space as well. So um, let me ask you this. So when, when, when investors first got into the med tech scene, right? you know they're they didn't really have much of a focus in one specific area right they they they've invested in med tech broadly and then all of a sudden specific investors in the cardiovascular space popped up or neuro or imaging or whatever it might be um in digital health right because it is it's grown so fast are 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 you focusing? your specific area and specific sectors of digital health or just digital health in general? And, and if you're just focusing in, 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 in general, that's okay as well. Are there areas you're more particularly excited about than others? And so, so Christoph, I'll let you go first. And then Andrew, if you want to hop in.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, I think at a, at a high level, um, you know, we, we are open to, um, to all, uh, digital health, uh, investment opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are two, I guess, legs to our digital health strategy that we pursue, you know, proactively uh, and have been pursuing proactively for, you know, almost uh, 10 years now. And the first one is what we call digital pharma. Uh, so that is, you know, software uh, companies uh, that sell into the life sciences sector, primarily, you know, pharma companies, uh, but may also be medtech. Uh, and that's really across the, you know, pharmaceutical value chain from you know, early stage um, sort of drug discovery all the way to, you know, commercial. Uh, and then the other one is what we call digital care, which is really focusing on um, the, the large, highly prevalent chronic conditions such as diabetes, such as mental health, such as, you know, COPD, respiratory conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the reason we're focusing on those two is that um, I think on the digital pharma side, you know, this is just a market which has been around for longer it's more mature um, there is there's therefore you know already a sort of a large pre-existing market um, and pharma is you know even though uh, they're not the most astute software uh, buyers you know they, they know how to you know buy um, software products and then the um the digital care bit is th- that's younger um so those you know 10 years ago there wouldn't have been many companies focusing on that in fact in europe there probably wasn't a single one maybe one or two uh, whereas now uh, there's quite a lot more uh, and that's also been particularly accelerated by by COVID. Uh, and you know uh, back to my earlier points about market i mean you know if you're if just looking at you know things like diabetes you've got hundreds of millions uh, of you know people who suffer type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes you know across europe and, and the us you know and and there's a massive potential here to um to improve one outcomes and two also efficiencies or cost by using digital tools in those you know focused on those chronic conditions so that's the reason we're focusing on on those two proactively but then we also look at other things which fall outside of those two uh, buckets on a sort of more opportunistic basis Okay, Andrew,
1: anything yeah, to and add there? Yeah, I think, well, not, not a huge amount to add really. Those are the two areas we, we focus on and for all the reasons Christoph said. Um, mm-hmm. We do have um, some other sort of opportunistic things in data analytics and so on, just because you know, data analytics is is becoming more and more important. Actually, we were invested in, in that before. It was in the days where it used to be called big data, and now it's all, in and AI and machine learning were, were sort of phrases of the future, and now it's all AI and machine learning. Um, but we're still in data analytics because data analytics is supremely important now with the amount of data being gathered if you want to make sense of it you need to automate your your um processing of that so uh, and the delivery of insight from it so we we are we are you know quite active in the data, data analytics side um but as Christoph said that those two areas you know that the customer base um and the value add in secondary care and in pharma are are are, are just we think hugely attractive we we actively stay out of certain areas like b2c for example not, not because there's not an opportunity there but because um it's not really where our expertise lies and in terms of you know building a retail consumer facing um company and brand and proposition uh it's it's someone we'd like to get to know better we'd like to be involved but we'd only do it with other investment partners who knew uh, more about that sector and what it takes to be successful we we like to focus on what we understand and what we know well so we can add value to our companies directly
0: yeah so 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 andrew um building off the ai machine learning right and healthcare is that primarily where you see the biggest value add for uh ai and machine learning is in data analytics i mean is that is that kind of where that's being seen?
1: Uh, look, Yes. I mean, the the, the, the potential for, for data analytics in healthcare is, is enormous and broad. And so whether you're talking about imaging, such as radiology, or you're talking about diagnostics, or the R&D process for therapeutics development, um, or in just scheduling and, and operating a hospital, it, there's enormous numbers of places where it can be used. And I think what we'll see is a sort of a staircase escalator of of ease of use and we'll see we see it starting to be used in you know those easier places such as computer vision and and simple radiology and then we'll gradually see it escalate but the the now now that most data is collected is now digital the power you're able to unleash just by aggregating that data not just across a site but um, between sites and between countries and around the world the the amount of insight you can now gather from that because that data has been if you like you know made alive rather than sealing up the end of a bed somewhere um it's just it's just enormous but you you have to use automated um approaches to, to gathering that insight because the volume of data is just so high um and we see yeah as i said a lot of really really interesting applications for machine learning algorithms everything from very simple ones today to some much more ambitious ones where you know, discovering new drugs and so on for, will, will start to impact us five, 10 years down, down the line.
0: Yeah. So, so, so tell me a little bit about um, from the um, healthcare, uh, I guess, chain, right? Uh, of, of how a you know, where you fit in, in the healthcare treatment plan. Um, talk to me about the risk a little bit, right? Because, and I'm not an expert in AI or machine learning, but when I do see these kind of technologies, um, you know, when I hear about them, when I work with some of those companies, um, the biggest pushback I see is the risk level of implementing their technology and where it actually fits. You know, like I said, in that in that chain, in, in that healthcare treatment plan. Um, how do you how do you overcome that as a digital health company, right? If if you're saying that. As an example, you know our our algorithm is going to help you diagnose breast cancer more effectively. But you know, on the off chance that that we're wrong, you know, how, how do you, how do you just how do you work with someone who maybe doesn't understand that business as well as you do as the digital health experts, right? I, I just imagine that conversation yeah. has to be difficult sometimes.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, and this is why I think there's going to be a sort of escalation of of the applications of these sorts of things. It's, they're going to come in first. We, if, for example, in, in imaging, we're seeing them come into to relatively simple areas such as um, mammography for breast cancer screening um, and with a very specific uh, objective of, of the AIS. So it's not just not reading the, the screens um, generally, not reporting on them, But it's doing a very very specific job which is looking for very specific changes associated with cancer and it's being used in the first instance as a second or third line behind a radiologist who's already looking at the screen so this is the sort of first application where you've already got someone reading them anyway and typically we use two readers because sometimes one is just not not good enough and this frankly because human human reading is not that great Mm -hmm. And, and these are hard things to read so Actually, here's the opportunity for, for computers to be, it doesn't have to be better than, it just has to be as good as. And then when you're a second line, what you're doing is you just, you're, you're automating that second line to start with. And then that, that gets adopted. You first of all have to gather a lot of data, run trials, and demonstrate that, that this technology is going to be no worse. It's going to do no harm. That's the fundamental principle. And if you can show that it's going to do no worse than a human, human being, and it's a second line, then you can roll it out into the real world. And in the real world, you can then measure. It's the great thing about d- digital, digital health is that you can continually track these things in the real world, whereas previous analog um, technologies, we just weren't able to. So these things should get better and better and better. And then as we're able to track, you can, then, you can then publish further data, which shows this really is doing no harm. This is actually improving. And so as that data set grows, then confidence grows. And, and along that pathway, the regulators play an important role role, if you like, as a checkpoint, a gate point to say, OK, you've got enough data now to go into the third line. Now you've got enough data to go into the second line. Now, I mean, this will be a few years in the future, maybe you could be in the first line. And and that's where the reassurance comes in as a sort of a safety net. But ultimately, clinicians need to get comfortable, to your point. Um, and they need to see this data being produced. And and they, they need to see it being used in their peers' hands and the peers talking well of it. Um, so it's a mixture of data in the real world, both trial-based and peer-based, um, and then also regulators getting better and better at, at, at constantly reviewing the data that's being produced and, and, and having a judgment as to whether this is working or not.
0: Yeah, Andrew, Andrew, I really appreciate that. I think it's you know it's something that any med tech, whether it be digital health or an actual physical medical device, has to deal with, right? Of of changing end users habits or, or a process, right. That's always going to be difficult is, is figuring out how your, you know, product fits into that, that, that chain. Um, and, and, but, but with digital health, it's just even harder because there's, there's that component of, you know, not being able to maybe see it or understand it. Um, so, so I appreciate that background. That's super helpful. Um, I, I want to end on this. Um, well, actually uh, let's, let's, I want to end on two things. Um, first off, are, are, are there any companies in your profile that, you know, I don't know, have have had some success in the recent future that you can share? Um, maybe just give them a little spotlight of, of what they're doing and where they're at.
1: Christoph, you want to go? Sure, yeah. Uh, so
0: you, when you say
2: profile, you mean our portfolio. So companies that we have that Albion VC has invested in, Dwayne? Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, um, maybe uh, worth mentioning uh, a company called Oviva, uh, which is actually a Switzerland-based um, digital health company um, focused on uh, diabetes. So basically, well, diabetes and obesity. Basically, digitizing um, a lot of the processes that are uh, currently done to you know take care of patients with um, with diabetes or prediabetes or general obesity for you know other medical conditions, um, and uh, they are active across a couple of um, European countries: so the UK, Switzerland, Germany, and France. Um, we invested in them in 2016, um, and you know they've grown you know phenomenally well over the last couple of years. Also, partly now um, sort of accelerated by the pandemic, because what they enable is basically to um, to, to to convert sort of face to face meetings uh, between a dietitian and their, their patients um, who are on weight loss programs uh, from face-to-face, as I said, to remote. Um, and um, they've recently raised uh, a Series C, uh, that's all in the public domain, um, of $80 million um, uh, with, led by Temasek, which is a large um, Singapore sovereign wealth fund, and Safina, um, a, a Belgium-based quoted um, unquoted fund manager. Um, and you know they they fall into this digital care um, bucket that I mentioned earlier uh, Duane, which you know is really digitizing I guess you know um, a uh, processes um, for um, you know for, for taking care of um, of uh, uh, of obesity related conditions including diabetes so that's a you know a, a massive problem these, these patients are you know generally not uh, well taken care of uh, because it's just you know very cumbersome uh, to do the um you know the, the weight loss uh, programs and uh the compliance for these programs is extremely low because they you know the patients have to go to these face-to-face meetings uh either these are group sessions or, or they're or their one-on-one sessions um and you know you've got you know two to three sessions per, per month over a couple of months for these interventions uh, and then anything sort of paper-based and you know it's just it's just very clunky and you know how things were done um i guess before computers you know 20 30 years ago and you know and they've got you know an app um, with all sorts of functions you know diary function you know you can take pictures of your food and you know uh, and you know counts the calories automatically you can hook it up to all sorts of devices including scales and all that sort of stuff so it basically brings the whole treatment of diabetes and obesity related conditions into the 21st century uh, and they are the leading company in europe um, doing that um, as I said, grown phenomenally, um, doing really, really well. So we're, we're, you know, we feel very, um, lucky that we've, you know, been able to, um, accompany them on their journey, um, to, to the stage. Um, and hopefully we'll continue to do so going forward.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So two quick questions in relation to that. Did you say 18 or 80? million series 80 things. sorry eight zero uh, oh the, wow okay yeah. wow that's yeah. awesome um and then the second question is does does so does albion do they do you usually take um a board seat with your investments or is it kind of case by case basis it depends on the size it, you know it is it, it's sort of case by case
2: uh in Oviva's okay. case we do have a board seat larger investments okay. we would have a board seat uh, so yes, but you know, for us, it, 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 this is less about, um, actually just being on the board and, you know, and, and, um, throwing our weight around, we're much more focused on trying to support the companies, you know, through, I guess you're just our, our experience expertise and the platform, um, that we are, that we're building to support companies, you know,
0: scale. Wonderful. And then, uh, so, so Andrew, do you want to highlight
1: another company? Yeah, we're we're not supposed to have favourites, but um, <laughs> I, I have a soft spot for it for another company in the in the similar So Digital Care again, and um, and this is um, a company which I have a soft spot because it's it's doing children's mental health, and I suppose it's because the the the, the issue is so pressing at the moment. It's so it's such a big deal, um, and the demand is just going through the roof. And uh, it's uh, an area which in the past. Um, it's just been so underserved from a provision perspective, certainly in Europe, um, and mm-hmm. so we've got this sort of perfect storm of enormous demand, especially in the last few years. Um, and we can speculate as to all the reasons, um, uh, but it's perfectly positioned to, for, for for technology to to actually have a massive impact um, in dealing with that huge spike in demand. Um, and mental health is particularly lends itself to technology use just because because of the the nature of of mental health quite often people prefer to to actually engage with with a um with a therapist or, or physician uh in either an asynchronous way or, or through a technology uh, medium um being there face to face with them doesn't necessarily help um so it's a great a great area of of healthcare to, for technology to have massive clinical impact um and and uh, yeah so we have a company called Helios in that space which is one of the leading um, technology-based provision uh, companies for, for children with mental health in, in the UK, and it's just growing like a weed. Um, so it's explosive growth. And, and one of the things which is really fascinating about that for us is that not that many people, um, investors, um, understand about investing in service company, which primarily, you know, fundamentally still a, a service company where we are providing therapy to patients. There needs to be a person involved. But there's also, we're building a technology company um, and the technology is used to, to deliver the, the, the care, but also to monitor the care and to optimize delivery of the care. So it's a, it's a real hand-in-hand thing of building both a service company and a software company. Um, and doing those two things together is not trivial. Um, and most, techn- most investors either want to be in a technology company because they're software investors, or they want to be in a service company because they're service investors. But, but doing the two together is an area where Christoph and I are sort of building building some experience, um, on the job really, um, these are the first kind of companies in Europe, uh, which are t- trying to do this at scale. Um, and, uh, OViva is an example of one and Helios is example of another, um, both of them in massive areas of unmet need. And we think technology can make a difference in delivering that, that, that real sort of face-to-face service.
0: That's great. So to, <laughs> to, 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 to end, um, I would love to know your thoughts, both your thoughts. And, and again, we'll start with Christoph and then Andrew, how do we continue the momentum around the digital health, you know, transformation or, or innovation that's been built um, by the pandemic? And it's not by the pandemic, but has certainly been pulled through in a vacuum by the pandemic.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think,
0: um, you know, I think the, um, in
2: my mind, the, the train really has left the station now and, and this, you know, it, this is sort of juggernaut, which is now, um, which is now en route to, you know, hopefully Nirvana, where, you know, things will be a lot more, a lot more digital. Um, so, you know, I think the, the pandemic has just given um, the, the entire industry, and that's not just, you know, the, the provider industry I've been talking about with Aviva and Helios, but also the pharmaceutical industry. A massive kick, um, and people just had to digitize um, because of the, the 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 issues with the pandemic, um, and you know, and and so people have just familiarized themselves with it, and they've lost, I think, the fear of the unknown with technology, um, and and so I think you know it is now almost sort of the first step that has been taken, and a lot of further steps will will happen. So yeah, I guess to just reiterate what I said before, I. We're, we're very optimistic uh, about the future. You know, I personally feel that this is a massive opportunity now. And, and, you know, we, we feel privileged that, you know, we're, we're part of it and we're going to continue to be part of it. We'll do our bit in terms of, you know, raising more capital from our investors and deploying that into the most successful companies in, in, in Europe. Um, and hopefully, you know, others, others will do, will do the same.
0: Great. Andrew, any other thoughts, dad? No. Awesome. Well great. So um are, are you both pretty active on LinkedIn? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. reasonably. Yeah,
0: yeah great. Yep. So so uh in the show notes if you're listening in the show notes, I'll have a link to uh Albion VCs' website. I also have links to Andrew and Christoph's uh, LinkedIn pages. Um andrew christoph hang on for one minute we're going to chat once i stop the recording here but thank you so much for your time um and uh yeah hang on for one minute thank thank you for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and leave a review if you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.